Hi, everyone. Welcome to Philosophical Teens. My name is Melody, and I'm your co-host. I'm here with Christine and two guests. Guys, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm Kale. I'm an activator at TKS. Right now, I'm working at an internship at this company called Dive. And I'm also working on this baby IoT tech device right now with a few friends. And um, on top of that, I'm also looking at a lot of crypto stuff and just learning about the blockchain space in general. Epic. Uh, hello, so I'm Emilio. I currently am reading and learning a lot about the brain because like, it's the most impressive machine in the world. I wonder how we can build stuff that makes us more human. Um, as opposed to sort of taking away bits of what we value the most out of ourselves. So in the form of text, so I do a lot of NLP, um, social media analytics tools mainly. So, yeah. That is, that is awesome. Okay. So for the first time in like forever, guys, um, this week we don't necessarily have a theme. We're just going to be asking some questions that... Um, that have always been on our minds. So without further ado, let's get into it. So guys, my first question for you is, is it, is it more to be a leader or um, is it better to be like a leader or a follower? Um, why and which one do you think you are personally? Um, Kyle, would you like to go first? Sure, yeah. Um, I think in general, being a leader is better um, just at a high level if you're comparing both. I think you do need both, um, but there's also different stages and like what you can consider a leader. Because I think like, if you look at Apple, it's this massive $2 trillion company. Tim Cook is their leader, he's the CEO, but everyone on the executive board is also considered a leader. They just have their goals aligned with the main mission statement of Apple. So it's not necessarily saying that they're followers or anything. They're vision is just aligned to the same endpoint. And I think we need leaders and they should be more visionary than the others. And they should kind of lead us to a path of what we're going down. So this could be a company, organization, religion. Um, I think most organizations, if I just use that term generally, um, are based off of the leaders, but you of course need followers to support this vision as well. Yeah, I think that's very interesting because eventually um, a lot of people appreciate a lot the idea of being a leader, but the idea of being a leader is what they like, not the process of leadership. And what they find is that throughout that it's naturally exhausting. Um, I remember a professor once told me the leader is the one who has no one in front of him. In other words, he has a leader doesn't have the need to impress anyone else or to get a good grade or to impress a professor or any sort of weird psychological dynamic, but he is the one that's at the top. So in, in a way, he's the one by which decisions are made. And in a way, he has the responsibility that's naturally internal. So there's this interesting disconnection between what people perceive to be a leader and what people um, actually feel when they become a leader because um, as, as we see a lot of there's there's this element of tragedy because a lot of people who are who are, we appreciate as leaders are really like the 0.01% of their organization's body they are not necessarily the ones that are contributing the most um, and often 
the people who contribute a lot get shadowed. So there's this interesting disconnection between what we understand as what we see as a leader and what we what actually ends up being executed. Definitely. Christine? Yeah, no, I definitely agree with that. And also there's a difference between being a leader and being an actually good leader. You know, there are different types of leadership styles and they benefit in different ways. But I feel like, I don't know, it's definitely important to have followers to kind of, you know, help. You can't be a leader without having been a follower at some point. I personally believe, I mean, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I definitely think it's important to have both. But you can't have a leader without having followers, right? Or else they're just, they're not, they're none of them. So you kind of need a, a bit of both, I would say. Would you say that everyone can be a leader? Or do you have to have followers, like based off of what you think of when you think of a leader? I think you have to have followers because, I mean, I guess you can be like a leader of yourself. That would make sense. But in general, when I think of a leader, I think of someone who guides um, a number of people and you can't guide people without having them follow you in, in some way. Not I don't mean like every single step of the way they do exactly what you do, but you know, you have to have people to follow you for them, for you to lead them. So you can't be a leader without having followers. What That's what I think. Yeah, also there's like this idea that the narrative of the lone wolf is completely false, right? Like, you know, there's not only in a categorical sense, but also in a functional one. Like, it's very hard to be a, it's, it's, it's impossible to be a leader of anything significant if you're on yourself. So, you know, mm -hmm. there's also that connection and something that's interesting about about like everyone be, everyone being a leader or only some people being a leader is that apparently they emerge um there's this idea of how some of the best leaders are some are people who never asked to be a leader they just had to took a moment of responsibility to to guide a group of people so that's an another way of looking at it like everyone can it's it's more of a random emergence rather than a predisposed blessing in a way i liked what you said about leaders taking on responsibility because i think one of the main characteristics of being a leader is that you take on accountability like you put your name onto this um and that's a big difference between a leader and a follower is that leaders embrace accountability which means they also embrace all of the upside. Um, and I think that's why tech and startups are getting more popular now, because if you look at the infinite upside of starting a company versus the very minimal downside, there's this we're at where risk is closest to zero as it's ever been. Like if you completely fail your company, you can get financial support, you have family, friends, there's so many opportunities that can help support you so you can just try again. Um, and I think that's why being a leader is more evangelized now than ever has been. It always has been, but now an individual can become a leader on their own, um, very simply using social media or starting a business. Mm -hmm. Definitely, yeah. that makes a lot of sense. Um, well, you did. You, you, now that you mention it, um, there is very little risk nowadays to starting a company and becoming a leader. Um, and one thing that leaders have to do is make these critical decisions as to where they want to take their company or 
where they want to take the people that are um, following them. So how do you think that um, leaders don't let their um, their, their decision? Because it is really hard, in my opinion, to um, make decisions not that are not based on emotions. I think they will inevitably, in my opinion, as I understand how emotions work, it's inevitable to to um, separate emotion and rationality because even if you take the most rational person you know and you start making these series of questions of why you do or why you think the way you do, at the core, there's always an emotional reason of, oh, I think this is beautiful. I think this is something that gives me passion. And I think it's not a difference of making a, a decision based on emotion or rationality, but a question of moral, moral uh, strength because a leader can make a very good decision based on their moral maxims but that is that is not that is emotional so but it's still a good decision so it it seems to me that it will send to an almost religious belief of what's right that is not necessarily the most rational but it's a strong belief that they hope that's stable and that helps them persevere through the uncertainty that involves building something new I, I somewhat disagree with the statement uh, talking about how they don't let emotions get in their way because I think they do and everyone does and we know that. But I think you have to properly analyze your emotions and see which are completely irrational and which is actually your subconscious telling you to go in a different direction. Many of the best leaders had a whole team around them. Like Barack Obama would have several people around him always giving him advice. But then he also based his decisions off of his emotions as well, just because there's always, if you base something solely off of facts, it's not necessarily going to work because like, if you take mathematics, it doesn't always work in the real world. And that's because we don't live in a pure mathematic world. Um, David Hume speaks a lot about this, where he says that um, no man can be completely rational because all of our memories are somewhat tainted with our biases in that present time. Um, so I think good leaders are able to distinguish the difference between their gut telling them something versus just irrational behavior um, that doesn't help with you making the decision. So you believe that you, there has to be some, there is some emotion that goes into every single decision that a leader makes. Um, where is that? Where do you think there's that limit of where you have to um, not let your emotions, like where's the, middle ground between those between using your emotions as well as using facts to make these decisions um that's a difficult question i don't think there's really like a consistent thing it really depends on the situation um i think the best way to make decisions is to look at the information to make sure you don't have any blind spots and then use your emotions off of that to interpret what you think you should do next one example is um the founder of spanx sarah blakely she says that she always trusted her intuition every time. Um, and there are moments when she didn't trust her intuition and she says all of those times she ended up making the wrong call. Um, it really depends on how much experience you have, I think. Um, as a 17-year-old entrepreneur, I would base most of my decisions off of facts just because I don't have enough experience. But when you're a more senior executive or something, you've got all this history um, and you can start to pick up patterns in your decision-making and what went wrong. Um, so I don't have a great answer for that, but I think you need to be aware of both, um, and then properly 
run this by other people as well, just to diversify the amount of biases that are pressing on your situation. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to go about it. Diversification is probably the best way to reduce um, reduce emotional, at least the most dangerous ones, um, emotional load, because, you know, when we're facing any type of fact, there's all of these assumptions, all of these ways we're trying to fill in the information of blanks of the ambiguity that we're not presented with. So, like, as we mentioned, like, rationality is there. Um, it's the amount of information that we're assuming is just too much. And there's this element of third party viewer that, you know, one of your friends has that you can just tell him. And so that's a very interesting way to go about it. And so that, that brings up the question of how can we, how to choose people, how to, what kind of perspectives are you willing to listen to? which I think you should just maximize the amount of people that disagree with you so that you're able, but disagree in a natural way, not in an attacking you type of fashion, but more of an evaluate, rational evaluation form. Yeah, kind of to add on to that, like, I feel like, I mean, this isn't so much of a problem in modern day leaders, I find, but more like if you were to look at world leaders, a lot of them, you know, if you look at the team that they have around them, in some countries, sure, it is definitely a diverse team. But in many countries, it's a team that kind of fits their bias in a way. So, you know, if they were to look at facts to kind of make decisions, they might look at facts that would kind of, that would support their bias. And so that would kind of it would be more playing into your emotion rather than rationality and facts. Even though you may have the facts in front of you, they might not be the ones that could also tell you that your idea is wrong. It'll be the one that supports your idea. So I feel like you need to really be able to not only look at all the facts of all sides, get as many point of views as possible, and not only, even though that one person may be the leader, they definitely need the followers to help them, to help them. Definitely, that makes a Um, that was all the questions that I had. Does anyone have any questions, comments, this conversation? One thing I might add is um, this really famous Stanford talk given by Chamath Palapatia. Um, he speaks about how there's a hundred people who rule the world, and his goal is to. I might be completely summarizing this way way too much. You should check it out, but um. He wants to make enough money so he's one of those people who has power to control the world. Um, and he wants to get as many diverse people in there as possible because right now he says it's all old white men. Um, and he wants different perspectives to be up there because they're not necessarily all right. It's just that you dilute the wrong decisions and you can kind of have a more even distributed view of the world and how it works and how you should make decisions based off of those worldviews. I like that idea. I would like to be one of those um, hundred people, but <laughs> go ahead, Christine. So do you think that if we were to give the, the same amount of power to an even larger amount of like group of people, do you think that that would actually improve our society compared to how it is now or would you think it might corrupt it even more i don't think it would corrupt it at all 
Um, I think that's why blockchain technology is so attractive is that it gives everyone a chance to give their own perspective. Um, and you also have verifiable truths and a track record where you can go back for each block and see what this person did and said at what time. Um, I think you're still going to have a lot of people who are wrong, um, but you get to kind of see all the points of view with it. So if you don't have any censorship and you allow everyone to speak freely about what they believe, you're going to have hecklers and these people who are just completely misinformed and stuff. Um, but then you can also see who's saying what at what time and then track which is the most verifiable. Um, I kind of like the idea that Balaji speaks about when he says that um, we're going to have crypto oracles and there are going to be these people who are able to upload real world data to the blockchain. And then um, they're all going to do this because it's going to be profitable. But then you're going to be able to see that's uploaded at what time by who. And you can also trace that back forever because you're going to have this this list on the blockchain um and this allows more people to give their opinions and you can also filter out the noise just by taking the majority vote of like who says what happened um and i don't think there's any downside to having more points of view if you look at communist countries they seem to be worse off in general just because they have this one power that controls everyone um and then there's the american dream where everyone has the power to start a company, get rich, and there's nothing stopping them. There's just a lot more opportunity when you have this decentralized worldview where people can all give their opinion. So would you say that, like, so I'm not like, I swear I'm not coming at you, but this is like getting really interesting. It's like, do you think that if we were to have like a full on democratic world, so, like, I don't mean like we have a government where there's like this last person that has the final say, I mean, like, full on democratic, do you think that that would make it much better do you think that it would make it a little bit more hectic um i i don't think it would make it more hectic because i think like i'm i'm an optimist and i think most people are good people and i think the majority of people would do the right thing um but then you also democracy the whole point is to have everyone's opinion so you can choose collectively what the majority prefers um and then this de this form of decentralization just extends that further. So then um, everyone is able to contribute. I don't I don't know. I want to ask you like why do you think it would it make it more hectic? I mean, I don't personally think it would make it much more hectic. I just think that if we were to have a full on democratic kind of society, you know, there there are people who are gonna there's always gonna be people who are gonna be against what you think. And so I feel like it'll make it so much more like this fight will start to begin saying like, oh, no, I'm right. I'm wrong. And people start fighting over like which decisions you should make, even though it is going to be like a majority vote kind of thing. I still feel like it's just going to rile up so much more like violence and hate towards more people if we we're to have like a full on full on everyone has like, I guess everyone does have a say, but like literally 10 to 100 years old every single one person has a say in exactly every single aspect of what happens in the world something something to add on there i believe um so i think if we start 
racing our kids or racing smaller or next generation of people that will follow us with diversity at the core of their education this deep sense of the other that's connected between how our brain has developed over time because that's just the way we survive like we don't have class we stick to each other we have to there's a there's this deep circuit that allows us to identify this other entity like there's this experiment where they grab a bunch of kids and they told them you were the uma uma core or something like that and there's this other bunch of kids that they told them they were the aqua and those names absolutely don't mean anything but that was enough for pushing them to kick each other but what was interesting is that um, there's different variations where they introduced that diversity since they ex started experiencing the world. And the same adversarial effect was not present. So it's possible, at least in a very reduced level, to teach diversity and teach this, um, yeah, teach just how much different, how many different opinions or openness, and for it to be a net positive effect not necessarily a, co a precautions of war or conflict yeah yeah like i definitely think it starts like when you're young like if if we were to like if we were taught to not put such a bias on our decisions i think a hundred percent like having a full-on democratic society wouldn't be much of a problem at all but because of the biases that we formed over time and they're so contradicting to so many other people that's why I think like if we were to have a full-on democratic society, it'd be it'd become a bit hectic over time. Yeah, and that's a bit worrying because you know, we can look at the type of media or the type of narratives that we've been fed over time and we realize that we don't have as many they're not as diverse as we could ideate them to be. There's this big elements of why saving the why when saving the world they are just saving new york right mm -hmm. <laughs> um so you know that's a direction it it's i'm optimistic in that area as well because we're just seeing a lot more interconnection between people but we still have to be willing to get out there and explore different ideas and people that just have the courage to tell us in our faces that they don't agree with what they're saying and that's extremely valuable yeah, for sure. Absolutely. Um, on that note, I think this is a good place to end this podcast. Thank you all very much for joining us. Um, this was a really, really interesting podcast. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Tell us what you think. Give us opinion on new episodes and what you would like to hear. Um, have a good day. See you all next week. Bye.